This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald. This is my show, Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. So once again, here I am on a Friday joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is an author by the name of James McRae. And as I always do before I turn it over to Unscripted Dialogue, and just for the sake of how far-reaching and expansive the listenership is for the program, I'm just going to plug a little bit about who James is before I turn it over to Unscripted Dialogue. So who is James McRae? Well, what I can tell you about James McRae is that he is an award-winning strategist and author at the intersection of creativity and mindfulness and the founder of Inner Space Foundation. He works with people and organizations around the world to unlock creative potential and turn imagination into results. His books blend literary narrative with spiritual insight to provide practical strategies to achieve meaningful success and inner purpose. An avid supporter of basketball, burritos, and yoga, James lives in New York City. And James can be reached at www.shityourecosays.com, that being the title of the book we're going to talk about today. So, James, welcome to my show, Living Fearlessly. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for the great introduction, Lisa. It's really, it's really great to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you. And I have to say, and I did, uh, I did message you yesterday because I was in the throes of the book and I just absolutely love, I love your spirit. You know, even though we've never met, you can really resonate with somebody, uh, just through the energy of what you're reading or, uh, if you're following them and you hear them talk. Um, you just have such a great vibe about you, and I absolutely love your book, and I want to thank you to uh, the publishing house for sending me my own personal copy. It's beautiful. I've enjoyed it, and that's what I want to talk about today, amongst other things, with you. So why don't we start for the listeners who may not necessarily be uh, familiar with you or the book. Why don't we talk about the inception of your journey? And I know that in terms of the book itself, you kind of talked about uh, Hurricane Sandy and how that transformed things in your journey. So you could talk about Hurricane Sandy and take it from there, or you can go further back if you wish and talk about how you even got to the point of Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from a very young age, I always knew in some capacity that I would be a writer. I always knew that I would, I wanted to write books that I, that I had kind of, uh, um, a voice to to share and uh, was deeply uh, involved in reading and writing, you know, poetry and literature and short stories and memoirs and all this stuff from a very young age. And what happened to me, which I think is what happens to so many people in the world, is that, you know, we have dreams uh, when we're young. We have a certain vision of, of how we want our life to be. And then the real world kind of gets in the way. You know, we, we go to college, we get that first job, we get our first career, and we start to feel feel pressure from the world around us to start conforming to you know, society's definition of success. So we start to, you know, chase promotions at work. We start to try to get a bigger salary. We, we start to try to have a better car or a better home than our friends and our neighbors. And we get caught up in the rat race. And that happens to almost everyone. And that certainly happened to me early in my career working in the advertising industry. And I got into advertising thinking it would be a, a field where I could be creatively expressive. And that's true to a degree. And I think a lot of creative people go into that field with the hopes of kind of having a life and career of some purpose and creativity. But just like any other profession, just like any other kind of demanding um, career path, uh, 
you know, it only goes so far and you start to really get tied up in all of the, um, the stress, the stress and pressure around it. So that happened to me. And I realized that I had completely lost sight of all of the, you know, the dreams and the, um, you know, the vision that I had had as a child and I had reached the end of my rope and, you know, I, I had achieved a certain amount of career success and yet I was totally miserable. And I realized that I needed to make a change. And I was lucky, lucky enough to realize that if I continued on this path, I was only going to become more and more unhappy and more and more stuck. Mm-hmm. So I really decided I needed to take a leap of faith and go back to pursuing, you know, the dreams I had had as a, as a child and love it. And, and, and how that took form initially was, uh, I always, you know, I, I always, I always read books from, you know, New York City writers and always had kind of certain romantic, artistic visions of New York City, which so many people do. And I decided that I, uh, I needed to leave Minneapolis. I, I felt like I had, uh, achieved all I could achieve and I needed to take a leap of faith and go to New York City to expand my horizons mm-hmm. and, you know, try to be a writer, try to uh, have a, a career that was more founded in purpose. So I took a leap of faith. I, I did everything that, you know, I thought I was supposed to do is, you know, trusting the universe and um, just going for it and, and, and leaving everything behind and starting with a blank slate and letting the universe guide me towards something that was going to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I had just arrived in New York City, essentially, was struggling to find my way, was struggling to find work, was struggling to um, even find an apartment. I was crashing and uh, on couches uh, all over, you know, all over the city. And just when things started to come into place, I had just got my first apartment and I was going to move in on, I think it was October 29th, 2012. And the night before I was going to move in, October 28th, Hurricane Sandy comes out of nowhere and completely destroys my apartment. Wow. And here I am, you know, I I was already running out of money. I was already, you know, out of work. I was already really um, struggling to get by. And now suddenly my apartment's underwater and I'm homeless. Mm. And, you know, everything that I, I put all this faith in my journey, I put all this faith into my, um, into my move and, um, was suddenly devastated by, you know, what looked like a complete dead end. And I had no idea what would happen next or where I would go next. Um, so I, I, I did what any rational person would do in, in that situation, which is move to the Caribbean. <laughs> And, uh, and, and why not, you know, uh, why not? Yeah. It, it was, I was in a situation where I was completely open to whatever pathway the universe provided because I didn't really have anywhere to go. And when a friend called me up and said, Hey, you know, uh, I, I know, uh, I have a friend that has this kind of empty cottage on this small Island called Culebra. It's empty. Uh, you know, you're free to stay there if you need a place just to, just to crash just to kind of get your shit together. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did. I, I went to to, uh, to the island of Culebra and, uh, you know, just recovered from the aftermath of the storm. And I remember what happened was, you know, I was, it's funny how sometimes what we perceive as being our, you know, most terrible, worst failures can end up being a, catalyst for transformation absolutely and we don't always see that in the moment it's so often you know things happen to us and we think it's unfair we think why is the universe doing this to me why is this person treating me this way why why didn't i get this thing that i wanted mm-hmm. and uh and really what i'm going to get into is you know how that is the voice of the ego that tells us that you know life is unfair that i want these things I can't have, that things aren't working out in my favor and and kind of taking that personally and seriously, which is really just the ego talking. And when we, when we lean into uncertainty, you know, we face uncertainty all the time, you know, we're, we're living in a, 
in a world right now that's just seeped in uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And when we actually lean into that uncertainty and embrace it and, and accept it and trust it, it's amazing how uncertainty can be literally a catalyst for transformation. Bingo. Bingo. I, before we delve further into the story and how the, the book got birthed, um, I, I just, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't make mention of a couple things. Uh, so what I love about your spirit, what I love about people like you who I refer to as tribe, James, is, you know, and one of the, one of the, the standard questions I now ask in terms of bringing my guest message of how they feel they embody living fearlessly and what that means to them and, uh, and, and connecting the dots on that with my, with my brand, you've already clearly answered that question. I mean, you did that from the minute that you opted to go from Minneapolis, leave what was already a predictable lifestyle. As you mentioned, you'd already garnered a certain level of success, but you felt that there was more that needed to be done. There was a, a higher level of purpose. There was a calling. Uh, you really re-embraced what it was in the childlike spirit of what you wanted to uh, do. You wanted to go to New York, what that represented and symbolized and signified for you personally and professionally and you did it you did it without having anything lined up you didn't have a job lined up you didn't have an apartment you didn't have what most people from a a a safe perspective will normally strategize so i'm not going to make that leap of faith unless i have x y and z already in place and established for me i absolutely love and, and there's so many parallels between you and i and we can certainly talk more about that uh off off radio but um I, I just love the fact that you right from the beginning of the story before it even talks about the birthing of the book uh you very much embody living fearlessly and taking those you know those risks and just in, in intuitively and instinctively trusting yourself that it's all going to align and putting your faith in the universe i love that james keep going yeah well thank you and you know it's we often think that taking um it's risky to make a change mm-hmm. we often think that oh i better not do this because it's a risk to my livelihood to a risk it's a risk to my comfort and the thing is and what most people don't realize it's 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 even more risky not to change yes you know we live in a world that's it's not a stable world and and what i mean by that is Everything is in constant motion. Um, you know, you name it. Our cells are rearranging every second of every day. You know, we things are fluid. Things are ever changing. And when we try to kind of hold tight and maintain a certain sense of stability, uh, what everything's changing around us, and we're kind of grasping onto something and uh, unafraid to evolve with the world around us. So, yes, it seems kind of outside. From an outside perspective, that making you know taking a leap of faith is a is a risky thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's riskier and more dangerous to do nothing and to allow the world to unfold while we're kind of cowering in fear of what will happen if we pursue our dreams. So um, yeah, Love it. that's what, that's what I learned. Love anyway. it. This is yummy. <laughs> You're yummy. So yeah, it was good. So let's let's talk about the moment where it became clear to you that this book needed to be written. What was that one? And I mean, I know because I've read the book, but what what is the cathartic pivotal moment that shifted for you where you thought, boom, bang, this is why I am here. This is what propelled me in the direction of my fuck it moment. You know, and I talk about that. We are the conduit. If you can connect and tap into your pain and turn it into passion, which turns into purpose, wow, are you not aligned with the universe? So let's talk about the moment that the book became very crystal clear to you that I got to write this, and this is exactly what it's going to be about, and this is why it's going to be about this specifically. Absolutely. Well, it, it, the first, I guess, revelation happened. Again, I was, I felt like I was kind of spit onto this shore of Calabria with kind of nowhere to go and, you know, no money and no, no place to live. And I, I was sitting on this beautiful beach in Calabria called Flamenco Beach with beautiful white sand and clear blue sky. Mm-hmm. And I was completely alone. I mean, Calabria is not a tourist island. It's, it's not very populated. So I had this entire beach completely to myself. And I was sitting there and, and all of my doubts, all of my fears, all of my insecurities were just coming to the surface. I, I, I felt, you know, I felt like a failure. I felt like I was st- 
stupid for having moved to New York. I felt like a a failure for not finding a job once I got to New York. You know, all I just felt worthless. Mm-hmm. And as I sat there, I gradually um, started listening to the thoughts I was having, having. Because what we can do is either listen to our thoughts or we can believe our thoughts and there's a subtle difference but it's a very big difference is take you know taking our thoughts too seriously because our thoughts you know especially when they come from the ego are 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 random and they're defensive and they can be fearful and it's very important not to take every thought we have seriously so what happened was i started to see my thoughts as an observer and realize that i was not these thoughts i was not these thoughts I was having that were based on fear and insecurity and doubt. And I realized that this was my ego talking. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened to the voice of my ego and I realized, well, that's not me. You know, this is, these, these are, these are, these are me- mental constructs that I can either choose to believe or I can choose to, you know, discard. Yes. And at that moment I chose to discard them. And I realized as I sat there, disassociating myself from the voice of my ego, that's when uh, kind of a second voice came into the picture, which was the voice of my higher self. And I started to, you know, it's a quieter voice. It's it's a softer voice because it's not as loud and, and kind of annoying and all encompassing <laughs> as the ego tends to be, which is just full of mental chatter. Yes. Um, but when you quiet that ego voice and disassociate yourself from it, that's when you can actually hear the voice of the higher self, which is softer and more true. And that's the voice that is reassuring and that reminds you that, you know, we we are the creators of our own reality and that, you know, things are unfolding as they need to. And wherever we are at, in our life, there is a purpose to that, to where we've been placed. And All we time. only need to accept that there is a purpose in order to see it. We must accept the per- that there is a purpose before we can see what that purpose is. And it was at that moment, sitting on the beach in Culebra, that I started to recognize that there was a dialogue happening in my head between my ego and my higher self. And this is a dialogue, it's a battle of sorts that happens to all of us. It's, 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 it's a constant bat- uh, dialogue that's happening inside of our heads and we can choose you know, which direction that we go in and which voice that we take seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you're mentioning that because that's a very common theme that guests and myself talk about and uh, the the messages that we purposely go out of our way to try and impart with the listeners because oftentimes listeners who are tuned into these types of programs, it's because they're looking for nuggets of, of guidance. They're looking for tools. They're looking for people who have already been at one point or another sitting in the shits in the darkness of their own life and they're perhaps feeling that they're there right now and they're looking to people like myself or you or sponging up, being receptive to sponging up whatever to help them get off the fence in their own life, getting unstuck and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, you know, I really appreciate the fact that this this seems to be a common reinforced message with all my guests. So I really appreciate your candidness. I appreciate you being raw uh, and talking about the fact that, you know, you – even on the surface for some people who might have thought you had your shit together, but you yourself, uh, and more importantly, how we do dialogue with ourselves, you know, you weren't feeling that way at all. You're like, oh, my God, I'm a failure. I just, like, totally screwed up my life. I made some really poor decisions. I'm not really, uh, you know, materializing any of the things that I said were my end game for wanting to come to New York and what I wanted to establish for myself. So, you know, I appreciate you saying that because this is what happens when you're in the cusp of, I think, going to the next level or receiving that moment of clarity or, you know, holding out for yourself and believing in yourself and challenging yourself to do the work, which, as you've described, uh, using different terms, mind you, but I talk about, you know, recalibrating and, and really deconstructing and deprogramming the false beliefs and concepts that have the tendency to immobilize you in fear and keep you stuck. So you very clearly, by what you just said and what you've written in your book, James, you had that conversation with yourself and you realized that the chatter that was going on in your head was not congruent with who you knew you were at a higher level. And so you merged that. You merged that beautifully, lovely. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And and just to like piggyback on something you said, 
you know, success is is very seldom is it as sexy as we think it's going to be. Yes. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, it's messy. It's dirty. It's filled with failure. You know, I'm I'm a big believer in failing forward. Yes, I say that all the time. I love it. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, I I, I take uh, I look at you know someone like a like a stand up comedian, and. Uh, you know, we see these stand-up comedians that are, that are famous. We see Jerry Seinfeld or whoever it might be, and we and we think, oh, they're so polished, they're so funny. And what, but what we don't see is the you know the, the countless times that that comedian has bombed on stage in order to get to the comfort level that they that we see them at. Yeah. And every and every comedian will say that. Every successful comedian will say, I don't care how funny you are, you know, you're going to get on stage and bomb a thousand times before you can get up stage and on stage and be funny. And the entire process of becoming a stand-up comedian is the process of being comfortable failing. Mm -hmm. If you're afraid to fail, if you're afraid to get booed off stage, you're never going to reach the comfort level on stage that it requires to be successful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're going to fail. We're going to fall flat on our face. We're going to be embarrassed publicly. (laughs) Like this is – these are just re- this is reality. Like you can't avoid it. So the quicker you can just get on stage and start telling jokes and <laughs> not be funny and yep. and to, and to and to make a fool of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. get that out of the way. Get that out of the way. Get comfortable and keep failing forward until you reach a point where you're no longer afraid to fail. Absolutely. I'm gonna just I'm gonna stop you right there for one second because. No word of a lie. And again, I don't believe in coincidences. As soon as I heard your voice, like before we actually went live, but more so because you were talking uh, more succinctly when I was starting to ask you questions after I introduced you to the listeners, um, your voice and your style, and there's so much about you that reminds me of a former guest who you might actually know in one sense or another, Kyle Cease. And mm. so when you when you talk about the example that you just cited about being a professional comedian, well, that's exactly what Kyle Cease is. Uh, but now he's taken it to another level, and he's you know his whole brand and shtick now is evolving out loud. So he's kind of merged the the comedic uh, shtick with um, personal development, and and he there's nothing scripted about him. So he fills up these auditoriums, these theaters of thousands and thousands of people, and he just improvises because he has the ability to do that, uh, but he talks about things that actually have meaning and substance and with the intent of profoundly helping impact and empower other people. And so not only was I cognizant of the fact that you sounded exactly like him, but the <laughs> fact that you cited the example of being a stand-up comedy to illustrate your point. Wow, I just got goosebumps there. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'll, I'll have to meet him someday. It's, uh, that, yeah, sounds, well, that's, that sounds fascinating. You should listen to the podcast, but we can talk about that later. He's, he's, great. He's, you can find it. But anyway, I, this is about you. This great. isn't about Kyle. Kyle's, <laughs> Kyle's had his hour. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so, Kyle. Sorry, Kyle. I've uh, been there, done that, got the shirt. But um, so, you know, so what would you say to listeners, you know, for people who were – you know, the version of James who before he understood the the transformation process of what was unfolding for him in his darkest moment on the beach for you, mm-hmm. what would you say to listeners who are, are, you know, tuned in and they're hearing your story and it's resonating with them and they just still don't know how to tackle it? They're still caught up in, in ego mode. What do you say to these people in terms of deconstructing and how do we do that? Like as if we're talking, no, ins- no insulting or offending anybody here, but sometimes if we're highly emotional and we can't be objective, I always say to people for myself, talk to me like I'm six years old. I'm not in a good space right now. Talk to me like I'm six. What is it you're trying to express to me? So how would you say it to the listeners knowing you've gone through successfully that process yourself? Sure, sure, sure. For for me, the most important first step was rethinking how I saw the world around me. You know, I think that in, in the simplest sense, we tend to think that we are victims of circumstance we think that things happen to us we think that the world around us is um is kind of um solid and uh, imposing and we kind of have to react to what hap- what it, what it gives us but the first step is realizing that actually 
our consciousness and our perception is so much more powerful than we think it is. When we change how we think about a situation, that situation actually changes. The power of perception has the actually has the power to change circumstance. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important first step is realizing that things aren't as imposing or unchangeable or fixed as we tend to think they are. You know, so just that gives you a lot that frees you up to put down a lot of fear just knowing that you know what, if I go in there with a certain mindset, it's actually my courage that protects me. It's actually my courage that creates kind of a force field and allows me to kind of walk through the fire unscathed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, it's it's very important to have some type of a um, a daily practice. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and a, a lot of people, and my, my, myself included, uh, you know, we, we don't, we're, we're, um, hesitant to have some type of a daily practice because, you know, what, what's the daily practice that we have? You know, I, I think that people are moving away from this idea of religion being a important part of our lives in, in terms of, you know, dogmatic, you know, formal mm-hmm. religion. I think people are moving away from that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of created a gap in, in our lives. It's like, well, what, I want to have a life of meaning. I want to have a, a some kind of a habit or practice that connects me with, you know, with spirit, with uh, with consciousness that kind of elevates me and keeps me attuned to my higher self. But mm-hmm. what is that practice? You know, I, I'm not really a Buddhist. I'm not a I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really into New Age stuff or tarot cards or mm-hmm. psychics. It's like, what can I do? And I think we're in a really exciting time where we are creating our own practices. And yes. one thing that's cool about America is that we're really good at taking all of these influences from around the world and kind of remixing them into something new. So you look at the music we listen to or the the food that we tend to eat. It's really this amalgamation of all these cultural influences from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And what we're starting to do, I feel, from a spiritual perspective is take influences from around the world that we can create a daily practice that works for us. And it doesn't matter what it is. So it can be a, you know, a Zen meditation. It can be a, you know, Kundalini yoga. It can be prayer. It can be a mix of all of those things and finding a way to fit it into your, in your lifestyle and not being rigid about it. It's like, did I miss a day of meditation? It's like, does that make me a failure? Well, no, it's like, that's where you are. So getting to the point where we have daily practices that we can go back to and, 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 you know, um, rely on that kind of re recenters us. It's, it's so important. And it's, it's just as important to know that it doesn't matter what you choose. There's no right way to meditate and mm-hmm. there's no right way to have a spiritual practice, but just having something is, I feel very important. Absolutely. Another former radio guest that I was blessed to have on uh, my show, Jay Shetty. He's done live streams. He talks about that meditation and breaking it down to, uh, you know, kind of dispelling and demystifying what people tend to think, what conjures up in their mind when they hear meditation and, and that they think that, you know, they've got to perfect it somehow in order to say that they actually truly authentically meditate. So he's got a good live stream on that. But um, so what I'd be interested to know from you, James, is what are some of your daily rituals? What are some of your daily mantras and who are some of your mentors? Sure. Well, for me, um, I tend to look at uh, artists as mm-hmm. um, as mentors because I, re- I think it's really important to, you know, we're talking about spirituality, we're talking about consciousness and, and things like that. And I think it's important to break that down into really relatable um, topics because not everyone relates to this idea of spirituality. Not everyone relates to um, this idea of expanded consciousness. And in my view, creativity is a form of expanded consciousness. You know, imagination is a form of being attuned to a higher power. 
Yes. You know, when we when we open up our minds to imagination, when we practice creativity, I truly believe that we are opening up a channel to connect with our higher selves. And so I think creativity is a great place to start in our culture for expanding our awareness, um, evolving our consciousness. So my whole life, it's been the artists who kind of hint at how to, you know, open up your your mind and and, and, and channel some something into the world. So, you know, artists and poets and, you know, some um, some of my the reasons I started writing in the first place was because of writers like Allen Ginsberg and Bob Dylan and Walt Whitman and William Blake. And these are all artists and poets that really expressed without saying it was some form of higher consciousness, they were really channeling that into the world. Yeah. So, so for me, what I aim to do with my work is use creativity to reveal something beyond the physical realm because creativity is our connection to the non-physical realm. It literally is that. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, the practice of creativity is a spiritual practice. And, you know, that's something that I, I think uh, Elizabeth Gilbert says that also. It's like Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, she said she, she um, used to try meditation. She thought she had to meditate and she would try to meditate every day. And it just didn't work for her. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I like to meditate. It, it does work for me. I think it's really peaceful. So I do set aside every day to meditate, but I also set aside every uh, time every day to write. And, um, and that's what Elizabeth Gilbert does is she, she journals in the morning. She kind of lets that, she opens up her mind to see what, to see what she um, can bring through. Mm-hmm. And her practice is actually, you know, writing and journaling and, um, and for me, that's the same. It's like, I think you don't have to believe in anything, but you can just practice creativity. And that in and of itself is an expression of, um, of a daily practice. Beautiful. Absolutely. Well, that, you know, what you said segues into a passage from your book that I absolutely love. And I'm going to say, I'm going to read it here. So you said in your book, um, the art of listening was my first creative lesson. So I paid attention to the sound of silence, hoping to eavesdrop on some cre- great cosmic secret. Something very pivotal, you said as well in your book, was I had spent the past decade chasing after society's definition of success, and in doing so, I'd become blind to my higher purpose, whatever it was or had been. Like so many others, I had valued success over purpose and acclaim over authenticity. And now there was nobody left to impress. I love that. Just, <laughs> just so, so clean. I mean, what clean, those are clean thoughts. You know, those are, those are higher serving thoughts. And those are thoughts that again, uh, recalibrate you onto the right, correct path of honoring who you are and getting yourself out of all the negative crap that tends to go in our heads, the real, that the inner dialogue that we, you know, are we serving ourselves or are we not serving ourselves? And the only way we can truly answer that and the barometer to determine that is what's going on inside of us because we're inside of ourselves 24-7. So we can wear the mask. We can wear all kinds of different uh, faces when we're dealing or interfacing with the public or clients or whatever. But if that's not congruent with how you are on your own, in your own space, in your own thoughts, in your own head, and in your heart. And I talk about that too. You know, I think oftentimes how we screw ourselves up is we spend way too much time in our heads and not enough time in our hearts. Because I think from what you've described, James, and I mean, you know, I don't want to speak for you and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, you operating in your heart space is what puts you, that, that's kind of what indicated to you on a deeper spiritual level I got to reconnect with the things that that made me feel good as a child. I, you know, I gravitated towards reading and poetry and and journaling and all these kinds of things. But I'm not really doing that right now. I'm just in the advertising world and I'm successful, but I'm not really happy. And if you're not happy, I would say that's not successful. You know, it doesn't matter what your bank account suggests. It doesn't matter how many promotions or raises you get. If 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 it's not if it's not gelling with your spirit, if it's not honoring your spirit. You know, you gotta, you gotta reevaluate that. You gotta reassess that. So I, I just think, mm-hmm. I think the way you've written your book, and I, I love your metaphors, I love your analogies, I love how raw you were in talking about just being in the shits. And so, um, 
I really, I'm, I'm plugging you here. I'm plugging this book. <laughs> I, you know, I really suggest people go out and get Shit Your Ego Says by our guest today, James McRae. And what's lovely is it says on the cover too, uh, which I think is just such a compliment, particularly who it comes from. So James McRae is the Eckhart Toll of the internet generation, the Huffington Post. And I love Huffington Post. Absolutely love Huffington Post. Um, so, you know, what I would want to ask you too, which I think might be of interest to our listeners here, uh, James, is, you know, even when we have those, those, uh, defining moments that transform us, uh, onto the right path, the right path for us, um, being a human being, we get, we get caught up still in moments of trepidation or uncertainty, or we start to re-question things, or we start to feel that perhaps on some level, maybe not as drastic, but we still find ourselves going down that rabbit hole of self-doubt and questioning ourselves and, you know, throw around the world word failure, whatever, you know, Obviously, you being a human being, you still encounter those moments. What is the difference, though, now? Now that you've mm. had that, what is the difference for you in terms of getting back on the right path? Sure. Yeah, it reminds me of um, – I'm, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell, uh, yeah. the, the, the writer of, of, of mythology and, and history and its relation to the human psyche. And – you know, I think so much of what he wrote about rings true in, in, in our daily lives in terms of the hero's journey. So, you know, it, we, we all kind of follow this when we, when we, when we set out to, uh, you know, follow our dreams or, you know, find a life with purpose. You know, the, the first step is the, um, the, uh, the hero's call where we kind of feel like I need to make a change. I need to, um, go on some kind of a journey. I need to, set set out into into the world into uncertainty to you know to discover myself you know that's 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 the original call and then we as part of that journey we experience crisis you know we experience a dark night of the soul you know for me it was being homeless on culebra we all have our own version of a, a dark night of the soul that that really challenges us and tests us and that's part of the process that's normal that's that's just part of the game and then that that is followed by some kind of moment of revelation or realization or 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 connectedness and kind of the aha that we more or less discover what we set out to discover Mm -hmm. but we're not done uh the 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 next and in a in a way the final stage is bringing our lessons back to the real world and that can be the most challenging part um to you know to 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 have a, a moment of realization to grow as a person and then to go back into the same job you had before to the same people to the same life you know to the same family and how can you reconcile uh everything you've learned with this kind of reality that's still the same and how can you apply all of your lessons you know it, it was it was it was easier to you know be homeless on a on a beach than it than it has been to you know integrate the lessons that i've learned into my daily life mm-hmm. and um the difference is once you've you know, once you've experienced that and, and you've been challenged and you've kind of walked away with something, you know, mm-hmm. you see, you, you just see life from a bigger perspective and you know that the challenges that you face in your life are, are, have a purpose the same way your dark night of the soul had a purpose. You know, everything is kind of, um, pointing you to, um, to that purpose when you, when you don't resist it. So I think that before I used to resist the challenges in my life and, and blame the challenges in my life on the world, on the people I was around. Mm-hmm. And, and now I no longer blame others. I no longer blame circumstance. I see challenges knowing that they are normal and that there will always be challenges. I don't care how yes. you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. You're going to face a lot of shit that you don't want to face probably every day. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is not to resist those challenges, but to embrace them and to lean into them and to look for meaning in them and understanding that the obstacles that we face are actually the path forward. 
as long as we don't resist them and we actually can accept and embrace and lean into them. Lovely. Love that. So what are you endeavoring to do? Like, you know, walk us through what is that? I'm sure every day is not a typical day, but if you want to talk about, you know, what, what are your routine? You, you wake up and what does your day do? Who are you interfacing with? Are you on the talking circuit? Uh, tell us about what else you do that's kind of falls within the umbrella of your book and, and imparting your message and, uh, you know, continually endeavoring to live a life of passion. So what does a day look like for you and what's on the horizon? Sure. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really interested in, in making things. <laughs> I'm really, and not just making things, but making things of lasting value. You know, it, it took me, it took me three and a half years to write Shit Your Ego Says. And that's because I, I'm meticulous about every sentence, about every chapter. You know, I, w- I want to make things that are not just, oh, I wrote a book. Like, okay, a lot of people have written books. Yeah. But h- how can I make a book that stays with people? How can I, how can I write a sentence that, mm-hmm. that sticks with you? Um, so I'm really interested in continuing to write and to create you know, whether it's a one quick Instagram post or a, an entire book that, you know, has value. So it might, it might take me um, an entire morning to write a paragraph that I'm happy with. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'd yeah. rather write something that uh, that is that is built to last mm-hmm. than just writing for the sake of writing. So I spent a lot of time writing and polishing my work and building building books that I, that I hope will stand the test of time. That's kind of my, my number one uh, goal with my career. You know, I, I, I do give talks. I do give radio interviews. But for me, first and foremost, I'm concerned with, with writing words that resonate and writing words that are built to last. Um, Let me yeah. tell I need to ask you something. I'm going to lose this. Two things I'm going to say. Uh, as far as you enjoying making things, you feel free to make me a cup of coffee anytime. Um, no problem. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I got my French press right here. Woohoo! Uh, the second thing that I would say is um, now talking about ego and talking about the fact that, as you just said, so if if, if and I'm not saying if all you do, but let's just go with if 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 you write one paragraph in the next thing that you're writing, call it your next book, call it a piece of poetry, call it whatever. Now, are you in the ego if you are analyzing to the degree that you feel that the words are going to stick and be built to last, as you say, or is it free flowing? And you know what I mean. Like so, to, when you, we, how do you get around the hypocrisy of ego when you're trying to perfect something yes that's a good question uh so i my my writing usually has two stages and the um the first is the the writing and the second is the editing and for me uh it's funny when i write and i think this is true for most creativity it's probably this it's probably true for you when you're when you're talking and interviewing people Oh, I write too. I've got books as well. So I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm listening to you very closely here. Sure, sure, sure. So there are times when I will look back on my words and not even quite know where they came from. Mm-hmm. So my goal while writing, and I think the a good goal for creative people to have, is to remove themselves from it. So I... You know, I guess you can write from the ego, but I think that the best work and the best writing will come from putting yourself in a place where you quiet the conscious mind, mm-hmm. you you open up your perception to, you know, thoughts that are outside of yourself, and you mm-hmm. listen to see what comes. So I truly just kind of look at my screen and allow myself to be a channel for what will come. And uh, I kind of record it as it comes and I I might steer it in a certain way to kind of fit within a story. Yeah. But I'm very careful to not inject my own conscious thoughts as opposed to just kind of letting the muse or the higher self speak through me. 
Um, so, so for me, that's very helpful. And then in terms of editing, yeah, that's just, that's just the crafting. That's just more like you're crafting something and you're, you're, you're moving words around and you're just trying to make something work. It's not, it's not a really an ego based practice as much as it is the, the practice of just being meticulous and crafting and kind of enjoying mm-hmm. language, enjoying language and having fun with language and, and, and trying to use language to elicit certain responses. Well, let me ask you this, James, because, uh, you know, being a fellow writer myself, being somebody who loves people, connecting with people, engaging with people, I do pay very close attention to certain words that I find people use or there seems to be uh, reoccurring dialogue, uh, languaging here. Now, to the degree that you feel comfortable, you've used the word disassociate quite a few times. Um mm-hmm. Where did disassociation first resonate for you and getting out of your body? Hmm. Disassociation. Yeah. When, when did you first become clear and what, what puts you, because we all, I, you know, I've got my own story with disassociation and, uh, uh, you know, looking at things from a bird's eye view. So where, where had where did that begin for you in terms of being able or or just knowing that you're tapped into the fact that you have disassociated? Where does that come from for you? Hmm. Yeah. I, I guess the the initial the initial burst of acknowledgement to that would be when I when I when I saw the the ego as a separate voice from myself, and and then suddenly realizing like, well, well wait a minute. Just because I thought something, that doesn't mean it's true. You can think something and, you know, that doesn't mean that there's any truth or reality to that. So, But, but you never disassociated prior to that, maybe in a different realm or, or in conjunction with something separate, a different experience? Oh, Sorry, I, 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 I dig deep on this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I would be curious to know what – when you talk about disassociation, just so I can – have a better idea what are you referring to well some people look at it as a as an abstract concept whether it's to gain more clarity which i think is what you're referring to some people it's based out of survival instinct um you know call it abuse call it whatever so having worked in social services and crisis management for 25 years when I hear the word disassociation, and I'm not saying that anybody who uses it, it, it means what it means in my former vocation, but oftentimes when you hear dis- disassociation, it's it's related to survival instinct, coping mm. mechanism. Oh, so it's more of a kind of a, a defensive way to protect yourself from what you're facing. Yes. Okay. See, I – yeah, for, for me, a, a disassociation – when I use that term, I'm referring to the transition to becoming an observer of the ego as opposed to identifying with the ego. Absolutely, I get it. And, and it applies to both of, you know, both, uh, set of examples here but but James given that we're I'm always having to be cognizant of time I've got Cameron in the sidebar saying seven minutes which means probably now six or five so (laughs) uh, you know what I would like to do is give you an opportunity where can people connect with you where can people buy your book where can people uh, perhaps connect with you about being mentored coached trained whatever yeah absolutely so the book uh, comes out on uh, Tuesday, it's not quite out yet, but on February 21st is the official release date, and you can buy it uh, through my website at shityouregosays.com. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can buy it through Hay House, the publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, shityouregosays.com is where you can connect with me, and my social media platform of choice is Instagram. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of drawings and, and, and writing on Instagram, and you can find me at uh, – my handle is at Shit Your Ego Says. So Love it. That's Absolutely. where I am online, yep. Love it. Well, I'm going to have the title Unfuck Yourself on my book, so <laughs> I like <laughs> maybe, it. My, maybe my Unfuck Yourself is right beside Shit Your Ego Says. Wouldn't that be great? There's, a, sounds, there's, a, whole, there's a whole new aisle in the book. It perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But anyway, James, I can't thank you enough for the gift of your time, your insights, your nuggets, your wisdom. 
Uh, I think you're a fantastic person. I'm so glad that I'm one of the first few people who got to read your book before it goes public. So I just want to say, people, this is a book that you need to add to your reading list, and it's not just something to read for the sake of saying that you've read it. This is something that I know it's going to be one of those books within my handful of books that I'm going to revisit at different stages in my journey just to regain clarity or, uh, you know, to sit with things for a while uh, to get back on the path. So for what that's going to do for the rest of my journey going forward, James, thank you for the gift of that. Uh, thank you for the gift of your time. And uh, maybe we have you back on the program at a later date when there's more to announce and, and ramp up on your behalf for what's happening and how you can uh, continually pay it forward and be of service by, by getting the message out there on my program. Absolutely. Anytime. And thank you so much for your kind words and for taking the time to interview me. I really do appreciate it. Fantastic. So to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking the time to tune into uh, Lisa McDonald here, Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. I go live every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern. I also want to thank people who uh, now we're in the category of somewhere of upwards of 140,000 podcast subscribers over on iTunes can't you know can't get the message out there working in a vacuum so for people who are actually engaged appreciate the content appreciate my listeners uh are taking notes are implementing things making a a profound pivotal uh, change and transformation in your own life. I just want to say that's great. I certainly glean that from all the testimonials and, and, uh, the raw candid stories in which you share with me as a result of, uh, plugging into my guest and, and what you, what you deem to be valuable and, and how things have changed your life. So I want to thank you very much for that. I look forward to rejoining you here next Friday, again, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You can reach me at Lisa McDonald, uh, 13 at gmail.com. My, uh, e- my website is just about to be relaunched next week, changed hands. So I'll mention that the following uh, show in terms of where else you can reach me. So once again, I want to say thank you very much to James. James, quickly, where can people reach you again? Shityouregosays.com. Fantastic. So I, I want to wish everybody a fantastic weekend, a safe weekend. Uh, continue absorbing all the yummy stuff. Really try to focus on living a life fearlessly. I really believe that's where all the the abundance is. That's where the self-love is. That's what it's all about. So um, I will have the podcast up very shortly uh, for people who can't tune in here live with uh, myself and James McRae. So James, once again, thank you very much to my listening audience. Thank you very much for my podcast subscribers. Thank you very much. See you next Friday. Love and gratitude to all. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.